Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. My name is Melissa Goodall and I'm the lead dietitian for the Norfolk Learning Disability Service as part of NCHC. Within the LD service, you know, we're very integrated with social care. Apart from dietitians, we have speech and language therapists, nurses, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, psychologists, psychiatrists who kind of oversee kind of teams as well. And we also work very close with social care because we know that it's not just one health intervention that is needed sometimes, it's often an array of those things. And often we can have for one person, they can have multiple health pressures involved and you get to meet such lovely carers and family as well you know and you're you're helping them overcome the challenges that it is to support somebody with a learning disability. That must be really interesting then to not just have that relationship with the patient and the carers and the parents but to also have that relationship with like you say your colleagues and and anyone else in the system who you might need to come across. Can that be quite overwhelming sometimes with everywhere you need to make sure you you've you know spoken to? I wouldn't say overwhelming, what I would say time consuming. I think once you're in the world of LD, as as I kind of call it, is that you realise that for one person, you could have lots of people you need to speak with to make sure your intervention is being put into place. So, for example, somebody might live with their family. So you support the person with their their patient and involve their family where you can. They might also attend a day service. So I need to speak to the manager of day service to make sure they're also following recommendations. They might have a voluntary job or maybe a paid work scheme that they're also involved in. I then need to speak to that with their consent if they can to then speak to their their manager at their workplace scheme. They might also, I don't know, go to um, kind of a club. There's lots of clubs for people with LD as well they attend. I might need to speak to the people there and also with their GP, with other kind of health professionals who are working with them. So for one person, I mean, that's a small example. So what sort of thing are you helping people with? It can be for a range of different problems. So we see people for kind of weight management, so where they're potentially kind of overweight or obese and need to lose weight. We also have the opposite end of the spectrum where people might be malnourished or they're struggling to maintain a healthy weight. People with gastrointestinal problems so things like kind of IBS or constipation or the opposite kind of like diarrhea or other bowel problems. People with intolerances or allergies or things like celiac disease. So they're some of the issues that we face but it's also about kind of health promotion so as well as our intervention yes we do assess weight but we're looking at ways that we'll always kind of make sure they're eating a range of foods from all different food groups to meet their requirements. If someone's got a learning disability and they maybe haven't got the verbal understanding that perhaps um, another patient might have how can you help somebody to understand your recommendation and the health benefits of that and why it's so important? Like, what are the biggest challenges that you have yeah, with that? I would say that is one of our biggest challenges. So first of all, I think it's obviously with the client, where we're going out to assess them, you know, one of the things we will look at is do they have capacity to understand actually why they need a dietetic intervention and to kind of undergo an assessment? We can do a few small things. Can you point to your nose? Can you point to your tongue? Can you point to your tummy? And if someone can't follow those kind of verbal cues you know to an extent they might understand more complex information but also we we would then potentially ask for a speech and language therapy communication assessment because 
you know, those are the professionals who can assess someone's communication level. And it might be that someone is maybe non-verbal, but actually they can use pictures or they can identify symbols. So we kind of need that baseline assessment first to know how to work with somebody. But if even from doing that, actually they don't have capacity, then we would act in their best interest to then work with the people who do support them, so whether that's, a, um, you know, a paid carer or a family member, basically, in their setting. And, and I think that in terms of where we've got somebody who who has got capacity, but actually kind of low motivation levels, again, that's that it can be quite difficult. What's what's the thing you enjoy the most about working with people with learning disabilities? You know, we do get some lovely success stories and, and you know, it's for the right reason. So, you know, like I'm going to go back to kind of a challenge. So I say that one of our biggest challenges is are weight management referrals. So again, then getting people to achieve a healthy weight. It then comes back to does that person themselves understand healthy eating, but also does their care or the family member also understand healthy eating? And how motivated are both of those parties? Their routine or their lack of routine? So how does food fit around their life? And are they choosing convenience foods or have they got the time to prepare more kind of nutritious meals? That, that is one of our biggest challenges, but when we do have a success story, it, it's really lovely. So, for example, I did have somebody on my caseload. We had lots of barriers for their weight, and actually this person didn't have capacity to understand the health implications. But what was helpful was then kind of educating the, the carers and family regarding healthy eating and looking at some of the barriers together. So, you know, this person also had quite challenging behaviour regarding food. So we kind of got speech and language therapy involved to kind of see what strategy to play that, that would help them kind of communicate better. We also involved nursing to do some positive behavioural support planning to kind of manage those behaviours. We had psychology involved as well to look at kind of other things that were happening for this patient who had some mental health issues as well. And it was a very MDT approach. We had, did have some best interest meetings regarding that and involved about how better support this person and it, you know it, it took months if I'm honest to get to the place where we were but you know they did manage to lose a significant amount of weight that would reduce their implications for developing a health condition the process was you know could be a bit stressful at times and it was it was hard work but when we do get that outcome that we're looking for it is it is really nice to hear and I can imagine as well, like as a parent or a carer, if your loved one is struggling with their food and their diet and you know they only eat certain foods and you know that you're going to have a battle on your hands if you try and give them something else, I can completely see why someone would just think, do you know what, we're just going to give them what they want. We're just going to keep it simple because it's it's exhausting to have to deal with those battles, especially if they happen so regularly. So it yeah. must be very difficult to convince a carer or a parent that that is the right thing to do because of the stress involved in that. Absolutely and I think that's why again like kind of having the MDT approach really helped with that because then actually do they have they got a bit of carer burnout because if they're the person they're supporting does present with lots of challenging behaviour actually the easy thing to do is to give in to their demands regarding food actually what support is that carer or, or family member having and like what can we do to support them as well you know so is it that they they need some additional support or do they need some respite care again it's kind of again working with the care and family you know to see what works with them and because I think sometimes we do get a bit of opposition I guess or a reluctance to change things regarding diet from carers or families sometimes because it is really difficult and there is an, an emotionality regarding food as well you know food is 
you know can be can be quite emotional so i think that you know we have to i guess be careful about the way that, that we address it to kind of keep that rapport with family and carers i think sometimes as dietitians i think people we get a bit of a bad rep sometimes that they think that we're just we're just here to tell people what to eat and that's it but it's about education it's about actually how can we do this in the most kind of practical way and which is kind of you know applicable to them and is, is realistic as well you know we're not we're not going to ask for the world but it's about those small changes that we can make to somebody's diet that will again achieve that desired outcome absolutely and you're looking at it very holistically aren't you because you're removed from it so you can take a, a look at their health outcomes mm-hmm. and think about what how it's going to look for them in the future whereas a parent or a carer is just in that moment you know that relentless day-to-day life well as you say if they're experiencing care of burnout then they're going to mm. be stressed and they're not going to want to take your advice necessarily also like you say about you know how how emotional food is I mean it is it's we often see it as a treat don't we we think oh you know I'll, I'll treat myself to a chocolate bar or treat myself to a cake and that's fine because it's all about balance you know as we know but if you've got a learning disability and you can't make that connection and you can't necessarily make the decisions for yourself if you do lack capacity then you are so reliant on the people around you and yeah Yeah. I think that's that's such a whole I guess what I'm saying is that's a whole different side to what you guys do that I never really thought about you know that Mm -hmm. you've got to deliver the health outcome for the patient but actually it's not it doesn't stop there no, I think that's the thing. And I think, you know, you know, we we involve the patients as we can, you know, when they don't lack capacity, but ultimately a lot of our clients don't have capacity to understand the health implications or how to implement or I think they might have an understanding of health eating, but it's that bit of weight up in the balance. And in the in that moment, can they make the right choice regarding foods? You know, lots of people know what is good and bad for them. I don't really like those terms or what is healthy and unhealthy. But I think when it comes to a situation where someone's presenting you, oh, do you want a biscuit? Do you want a piece of cake? I think a lot of our social will struggle to, to say no, because what they might not do is they think, oh, actually, early on in the evening I've already had x y and z and I think it's that also kind of retention and being being able to kind of put it into place whereas and that's where it's really important we work with their clients and their carers and family to support them in the right way and it's not about taking choice away from people but it's about maybe they, they need some more reminders maybe some visual reminders or you know it's about actually in a home while they document what someone's eaten and I guess that, you know, that's where that communication really comes in to take the time to really understand somebody, you know, what makes them tick? What is it? What is it that they're they're going through? What have they been through? You know, what makes them turn towards certain foods and away from others? You know, there could be all sorts of things behind that, I, I presume. Yeah. And I think, the thing, you know, I think we choose foods based on sometimes what is convenient, how much time we've got. I think not always everyone with an LD gets given the right choices. And I, I think it's the way that choices are presented to somebody as well. So, you know, we would say that if you're going to offer a healthy choice, don't offer, say, a banana or a chocolate bar. Offer a banana or an apple or a pear. So I think until you sometimes have these conversations with carers and family, they don't actually realise what they're doing because you just autopilot and that's what you, you do. I think until you... It's that that heightened awareness that people need sometimes about supporting them. That's why we, when we work with somebody, we would make a nutritional care plan as well that kind of spells out recommendations and how how to support them, basically. It, I think, does come down to what you said, that emotional relationship with food. 
Absolutely. And, and I think that we we all care through food, you know, it's someone's birthday. What do we give them? We often give them chocolate or a birthday cake. That can be, again, be another kind of challenge or barrier to overcome, because, again, if actually this is happening on a regular basis, for whatever reason, again, it can then really exacerbate the, the, the weight side of things and people then gaining weight and then becoming obese. And also food is often used as a way of mitigating um, behaviours that challenge. So I think if someone is quite maybe demanding or has a behavior challenge, sometimes people will pacify that behaviour by giving them a snack, you know, and often it's not a healthy snack because actually that's a distraction. It keeps them quiet for a little bit in inverted commas. And actually, again, if this happens continuously, then, you you know, they're getting all these extra calories and it leads to, to weight. So again, it's that kind of, people need that heightened awareness again of kind of what they're doing. Actually, can we replace food with something else? Um, and also, it's like the, the, the opposite as well. People get rewarded with positive behaviour through food again. <laughs> so it's like, um, for example, I was working with somebody and he's got lots of health problems. He is kind of obese. He, he needs to lose weight. He does have capacity, but he needs a lot of support with his food intake at the same time. And he does have lots of demands around food. And we're trying to find motivators for him to change his diet. And one of his carers suggested that if we got to a certain weight that his reward could be going to Cosmos and if people don't know what Cosmos is, Cosmos is an all-you-can-eat buffet which has a range of foods but you know this is this is quite common that this sort of thing will come up and obviously you want to hit your head in the palm of your hand but but obviously okay well can we go maybe to a different restaurant it's an all-you-can-eat buffet yeah you're right we just so naturally go to that you know especially if food is someone's happy place you know you what can we do what can the reward be oh to eat more of it you know but so so it must be so difficult for your you and your team then because you come in and essentially say to somebody you can't do any of that anymore <laughs> and you know here are the options here are the alternatives of course there's a plan and like you say it's the MDT and everything but that must be quite difficult sometimes I guess. Mm. And I think again it has, it has to be realistic I guess you know yes we, we, we don't go in and say you can't do this you can't do that it's about it's education you know where you can you know involving the client and their carers and families think okay so we need we've got this end goal and again I keep talking about weight management but there are obviously lots of things you know we've got this goal that we need to try and get to to stop you from getting these health problems how can we work with you to put this into place and it can be just little small changes and I think that's where kind of you know for us kind of diet history and kind of knowing what someone's routines what their usual eating drinking habits are so okay so what little things can we change that will actually will reduce your calorie intake that will actually lead us to you know towards that desired outcome so for example if they're drinking full sugar cola would they consider swapping to like a, a diet coda instead? We're not taking it away, we're just replacing it with something that is less sugar and less calorific. And also, you know, it's about kind of having some agreed dietary goals. It's not as about us dictating to people about what they shouldn't have eaten. It's working with people to try and get some agreed goals and what is yeah realistic and, and appropriate for them. Is there anything you think that the trust could do to improve the learning disability service? People should be able to access mainstream services with reasonable adjustments made to support them. But because actually this doesn't often happen and we, we are very aware that people with a learning disability do face big health inequalities in accessing healthcare, that is why we are needed within our service. So I think what I would say to anybody within NCH agency who does have a, a client who has a learning disability is where you can and if you can is and you and you are aware they've got Lynn's disease kind of get to know your patient well and actually 
what adjustments do you need to make to support them? So, you know, if they've got an, a, it's a clinic and they've got an appointment time, can they have the first or last appointment of the day so they're not having to wait for long time periods? Because that can be quite stressful. A lot of people with a learning disability do um, have anxiety regarding going into, like, say, a hospital or a clinical setting where people are look very medical. When they are being seen, you know, can they have a home visit? You know, if that's the environment more comfortable or if they do have to go for you to be seen, like can that can you make sure it's distraction free in a calm environment? Do is there any kind of easy read or information sheet that can be given regarding the appointment or kind of what your recommendations are so that they can understand the information better? Making sure that they've got someone with them to support them to that appointment. Again, if whether they've got capacity um, kind of or not, but it, you know, if, if there's some things that's being recommended, then it's about again the right people having the information so that can be put into place. Again, they might need a longer appointment time as well. So if it's just that you know you've got a 20 minute slot, more than likely that's not going to be enough time to be able to kind of do everything that you need to do because actually it might have taken 10 minutes for that person to kind of calm down and settle potentially do they have a hospital passport as well so most of our people in LD should have a hospital passport and again that provides kind of really key information about that person about you know their likes and dislikes and what works well and what doesn't work so well with them so again it's taking the time to get to know your your patient where you can and I understand that can be quite difficult when you're very busy and you've got like a full clinic or or whatever and it's but I think it's where that kind of advanced planning is, you know is, is really valuable. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.